let's jump into this evening's message. And this evening, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of sin, of man's sin specifically. The man is sinful. Now, some may view this as not being a fun topic, an encouraging topic, um, a topic that is often avoided by many. But it is a necessary topic and one that I think needs to be preached all the more because I think a major reason why so many fail to come and truly understand their necessity of Christ, the preciousness of the gospel, and even those within the Christian faith not pursuing holiness and the face of God is because we do not understand properly what it means that we are sinners. We think sin may be something we do and we can change some behavior patterns to become a better version of yourself. But that is not what the Bible says. And so tonight we are going to look at uh, this doctrine and this could easily be a series of messages. There's gonna be a lot of scripture. So try, uh, write them down the references. If you're not able to turn there and I encourage you to meditate on them, go back, read them and meditate on them because they're extremely important. Um, but I want to start by asking a question. Tomorrow's Monday. You go to work, you go to school, wherever you're at, things are going well. And somebody confronts you, gets in your face and says, you know what? I heard that you are a lying piece of garbage. How are you going to respond to that? How do you respond when somebody says you're a piece of garbage? You're a liar. You're fake. Most of us would get initially very upset, defensive. If we're not walking in the spirit of God, maybe we retaliate. But Charles Spurgeon preacher from the 18th century, um, said this, and I think he captures it. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> you are worse than he thinks you to be. They're being too kind is what he's saying. If tomorrow told me, somebody told me I was a lying piece of garbage, a scumbag, they're being kind. The reason Spurgeon says that and the reason that's true is because our heart is a breeding ground of evil. Completely evil. And so what we're going to see this evening is that every single human being born from the moment of birth, from the, actually we can say from the moment of conception, is radically evil, is a sinner by nature. I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, but in the moments to follow, but you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. That there's a big difference. What it's saying is it's not that you are this thing because of what you are doing. Rather, the things you are doing are showing what you really are already. Now to understand sin, we have to understand that our first parents, Adam and Eve, and specifically here, Adam is the cause of the universal sin problem. The reason we are in the state that we are in is because of what Adam did in that garden when he ate that fruit. 
We're going to look at that in a second, but I want you to turn with me, if you can, to Romans chapter 5. Specifically, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. And the Apostle Paul writes, For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Think about that. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Humanity was made sinners. See, Adam represented all of human humanity in the garden. He was our representative. Now, I can anticipate some people saying that's not fair. What Adam does shouldn't affect what I do. We each make our own decisions. It's not fair. To that, I'll simply respond, if you don't want Adam to represent you in the garden, then you cannot have Christ representing you on the cross. You can't have Christ represent you but not have Adam. It doesn't work that way. So understanding that through one man's disobedience, all of humanity is plunged into sin. Now turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you ever want to know what's wrong with the world, this is the chapter right here. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Genesis are a goldmine of truth to understand who we were supposed to be and who we've become. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, it starts off, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Right here, we're introduced into a, to a new character. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Up until now, we've heard about God. We've heard about man. We've heard about woman. But now the serpent's on the scene. And it's interesting to note that the first words ever uttered in the Bible, not from God, are from the serpent, and they are an attack on the word of God. You shall not eat from the tree. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Actually, not the first words, because Adam had words in chapter two. The first question in the Bible is questioning the word of God. And Eve is there, and the serpent goes and first talks to Eve. Right there, our alarm should be going off, because Adam is the one who should be representing us. Adam should be the one confronting the serpent. But Adam is silent, and Eve eats the fruit, and then she gives some to Adam, who is right next to her. Instead of leading, instead of protecting, instead of defending, instead of being righteous, he abdicates responsibility, eats the fruit, and in so doing, disobeys the one command God gave. Do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that moment, all of humanity is plunging to sin. It's important to recognize that. Genesis 3 is that high point that we are... We should be holding our breath. What's going to happen here? Adam was supposed to be that one who crushes the head of the serpent, essentially, here, and he fails. And ever since Adam has failed to crush out of the serpent, all of humanity has failed. So now let's go back to understanding that Adam represented us, understanding how that took place. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, now let's draw our focus to verse 12. 
Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as one, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. It was like a virus now was unleashed on humanity. It could be stopped. And everybody is in fact, the reason you die will die. The reason I'll die. The reason people die is because of the universal sin condition. Man was never made to die originally. Man was never intended to experience pain and loss. But because of Adam, death, pain, suffering, evil enters the world. And notice it says, because all sinned. We're going to unpack that more, but no one is exempt from that. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die. Really want you to get this. All die. We are not simply physical beings. We're physical and spiritual beings. When God told Adam that you will surely die if you eat of this tree, Adam did die the minute he bit into that root. His spiritual capacity to be connected to God died. The connection was broken. And then physical death followed. At the beginning of uh, 2020, 2020, yeah, beginning of 2020, um, no, August of 2020, I started a residency at a church. And one of the things I got thrown into right away was funerals. I had like five or six funerals in a matter of two months. And it's a very uncomfortable thing to perform a funeral, especially for people you don't know. And some of them not being followers of Christ. And so I would sit with these families and they would be crying and, and just grieving the loss, understandably. And I think what was so uncomfortable is that death is the most unnatural, natural thing. We know everyone's supposed to die. And yet when it happens to those we love, it feels as if this isn't right. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And the reason is that it wasn't. But when Adam ate of the fruit and Adam began to become, Adam died for an Adam, we all die. And so that's the first point I want us to see. Adam is the cause of universal sin. And because of Adam, you and I will die. You and I are sinners. And you and I feel the effects of sin in a broken, sinful world. You know, we, we see evil on the news. And we think, how could they? Not recognizing, you know, let's just take the Taliban and ISIS that we've seen in, recently in Afghanistan. They do what they do because Adam ate the fruit. Hitler did what he did because Adam ate the fruit. A child is murdered because Adam ate the fruit. An earthquake happens in Haiti. People die because Adam ate the fruit. Adam is the cause of the universal effects of sin, both in individuals and in creation. So now let's move to our next point. 
Sin is inherent in who we are. Just like you inherit certain things from your family, eye color, even mannerisms, there's certain things you pick up because you're connected genetically to your family. Because we are children of Adam, we inherit that sin. So what I want to see first is that you and I are sinful from birth. And this is one that a lot of people struggle with, this idea that we are sinful from birth. My, my good friend just had a little baby boy. Beautiful little baby boy. Such a cute child. That child's evil. It's hard to think that, right? He's less than two months old. What do you mean he's evil? He's evil. He was birthed in iniquity. So if you don't believe me, let's, let's look at God's word. Go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You were born when you, before you even entered into the world, you already had a sin nature. I get a lot of pushback on that, but I think any parent would readily agree as soon as their child is getting a little older that they are children are definitely sinners. I often make the illustration, take a kid and just rip its pacifier out of its mouth and hand it in front of him, and that kid will look at you with all sorts of evil in his eyes and he would kill you for that pacifier. Or a child wants a piece of candy, you say, no, you got to eat dinner first. Let's say they're under one or two years old, right? They want some kind of sweet. And you see all types of rage and anger well up in that child, not obedience, not trust. Why? Because they are sinful. They're evil. You don't have to teach someone to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to fly off the handles and let their anger just have at it. But you do have to teach obedience, submission, and trust in many ways. You don't have to ever teach sin, but you do have to instruct in righteousness. Why? Because sin comes naturally to us because we've been sinners since before we were born. Job chapter 25, verse 4 says this. How then can a man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? The reason Job is saying that, not because he has anything against women, but because he knows a child born from a woman is still a seed of Adam. That nobody can be just with God. Nobody can be in a right standing with God. It's really sad when you begin to think about that. It's sad when a child's born into the world to understand. We can be sad for the child in one regard. Wow, this child's been brought into the sinful world. But that child is not a victim of his circumstances. That's extremely important to understand. Sometimes I hear people with things that are going on in the culture, and I can't believe I'm bringing my kid into this world. Well, here, a child's not a victim of society. He's going to be a contributor to the sin in society. If it isn't for the grace of God at work in his life through Christ. We are not victims of a broken world. We are contributors to a broken world since birth. 
or Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. Think about that. From birth. Who taught you to lie? Did anybody teach you to lie? No. From birth, you've been that way. And so this is the first thing to see, that we are sinful from birth. But we also, because we're sinful from birth, have a sinful heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the control center. It's where your will and your emotions come from. I like to give the image, your heart is like the hard drive of of who you are. And so having a sinful heart means you have a corrupted hard drive. And so everything that the, the hard drive is going to put out is going to be corrupted. The files are going to be corrupted. Downloads are corrupted. Everything's corrupted by sin. You have a sinful heart. If we go to Genesis chapter 6, this is during the times of Noah. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. In that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Did you catch that? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Why would God, why would, why would God have in his word saying that every thought of a human heart was evil? Because in every thought is being done without ref, uh, reference to God. The Bible says that whatever is not from faith is sin. And so when we act, when we decide, when we desire, and it's not being done with one hand on God as our reference point, it is of sin. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart is desperately sick. It's evil. I bet you if all of us were really honest, we would say that we've had very corrupt and evil thoughts sitting in a church service. Our mind has wandered to all types of lusts and corrupt desires while sitting in the house of God, singing songs to God, sitting under the word of God. And your heart is just pumping out sin like a factory on a a conveyor belt. The heart is desperate. You have to think, how could somebody be thinking that in the house of God? Because the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. My heart's done that. If we go to Matthew 15, Jesus says this in verses 19 through 21. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands is not defile the man. Do you get that? It's out of the heart that these things come. Your desire to lie, your heart pumped that one up. You get angry in an an argument with a a spouse or a friend or a loved one, and you say something you don't mean to say. 
or you say it the way you don't mean to say it. Your heart pumped that one out. You laugh at somebody behind their back. You gossip. That's a heart thing. A heart gave you that. It all flows from the heart. We tend to focus on the fruit and not the root. I'm just going to try to do better. You know, buckle down. I'm going to lie less. The attempt is noble, but it's short-sighted. Because you need to attack the root. If you have weeds in a garden at home or in your backyard and you just try to rip it out and you just get the top layer of leaves, guess what? That thing's going to grow back. Why? Because the root structure is still underground. And as long as the root is still there, there is still life. And so weeds will continue to spring out and spring out. And so everything we do, don't, I'm not saying not to try to, to do those things less, but don't focus on the action. Focus on where it comes from, the motivation, which is the heart. A corrupted root will produce corrupted fruit. And so that's a sinful heart. Our control center of our emotions and will, our desires. So we're sinful from birth. We have a sinful heart, but then we also have a sinful nature. And so what's the difference between a nature and a heart? Your nature is that thing inside of you that is already inclined or predisposed to a certain way. And so our human nature is already inclined, bent toward sin. So what that means is when presented with the option to choose God or to choose selfish desires, you will always choose selfish desires. And this is talking about the individual who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because when we come to faith in Christ, which we'll talk about in the upcoming weeks, we're given a new nature. But when we are not connected to God through Christ, our nature can only and will only choose sin. Not because you, not even just because you have to, but because you want to. It's what you desire. To go back to the computer illustration, right? If the hard drive is the, if the heart is the hard drive, the nature is your operating system. Your operating system is just an evil operating system. And so, right, you have sin OS, and it gets updated all the time. That's what's happening in your heart. As you get older, you figure out new ways to sin. You got a new sin update going on in your heart. Another way the Bible talks about our sinful nature is the sinful flesh. One of the passages of Scripture that I think is spot on and just, I can't, Imagine it being described any better. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, the first half of that, really hammers home the sin issue of humanity. And I'm just going to say this much. When we read these passages and we see what God, we hear what God has to say regarding the issue of sin, if it doesn't leave us disturbed to some degree, then you're probably so steeped in sin that you have no taste for righteousness. You can talk to somebody about sin, like, yeah, yeah. But if it's just if it's just rolling off their back, then that's probably an indication that they're so deep in sin they can't see it. It's like asking a fish if it knows it's in the water. 
So Ephesians chapter 2 starts off by saying this. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's who you are. If you were going to write a bio, right, if you're on your social media and it says the about me section, just copy and paste that. That's who you are apart from Jesus Christ. You are a child of the devil. You are a citizen of the prince of the power of the air under his dark kingdom of darkness. You are a son or daughter of disobedience. And you are an indulger of the flesh. To say that indulging was, you didn't simply nibble at the, ta- at the plate of sin. No, you were stuffing your mouth with sin. We have sinful natures. Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in verses 6 through 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset in the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who have sinful natures, those who have not bent the knee, confessed, repented, and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, and given a new heart and new desires. Notice what he says there. Their mindset in the flesh, they do not submit, subject themselves to God's law. Nor are they able to do so because why? Because of the nature. They have a sinful nature. They will always choose sin over God. That is who I am. That is who you are. We're not for the grace of God in Christ. That may be who you are right now. One more passage on this point. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Everybody knows verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. That's great. We poke that one all the time. Little kids learn that one at Awana right away. I wonder if maybe we should teach the kids verses 19, 20, and 21 before we teach them the fruit of the Spirit. Because we're teaching them what it means to have good fruit, but we're presupposing they have a good root. Verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Right? You see, the deeds of the flesh, like, They're not ambiguous. It's not hard to see. No, it's clear. The spotlight's on it. What is it? Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the scary thing about that list is that all of us <clears throat> have done those things, do do those things. That should just remind us that sin is still at work. Now, by the grace of God in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, that is not characteristic of who we are. 
there's that should be a, a that should be a decreasing action we partake in. But for those who are not forgiven, those who are not Christians, this is crystal clear all over their life. But so many of those things, right? Outbursts of anger, well, they had it coming. Right? The answer, well, what are they supposed to do? Just take it? They get loud, we get louder. Idolatry, we call that pursuing success. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. The culture says we got to be sexy. We got to be pretty. We got to be attractive. We got to. We got to make sure we draw the eye. Jealousy. I'm just setting goals to get where they're at. I'm not jealous of them. Disputes, dissensions, factions. That's all over the news right now. Drunkenness. That's just called Friday nights. Envying. Right. We call that debating equality and equity. You see how the world is corrupted, sinful by nature, and even within those that are followers of Christ, we need to be identifying those things that are trying to, those little weeds that are trying to spring up in the garden of a new heart. We have a sinful nature, and we need a new nature. And we can't do that on our own, because... Here's the thing. Somebody who has a sin nature can never on their own produce a right, a righteous nature because the sinful nature only will desire sinful things. So you are stuck there. You need someone outside of yourself to do the work. You need someone outside of yourself to take that sinful nature, remove it, and put in a righteous nature. Because sinful people only want sinful things. And that is the condition of every single human being born into this world. And so let's talk about this idea, the next point, that no one is righteous. Go to Romans chapter 3. I remember sitting in the very house that I'm preaching in right now. And reading these verses. And feeling just a deep hollowness in my life. I remember reading these verses and recognizing, wow, they must have walked, they must have followed me around for a while and just described who I was. These verses have tormented me for a long time. And now I keep them as a present reminder. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace... They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And there you have it, verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Everything up to that point, they're telling you what is the fruit of an individual who does not have the fear of God. 
Nobody does good. An unbeliever sees a house on fire, runs in, rescues a baby from a burning building. And while that may be a good at the societal civil level, it's not a good before God because they are not giving God thanks. They're not giving God the credit for one, their desire to preserve life. Two, for the life that was preserved. They're committing cosmic plagiarism. A nurse saves, a ba- uh, saves somebody from dying. A cop stops a criminal. Those are good for our society, but if they're not done with reference to God, they're sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Nobody does good. It says it right here, not even one. Think about, if you can, think about the time you lived apart from the Lord. Or think about those moments that you have indulged the flesh and not sought to be obedient to God. Has your mouth not been full of cursing and bitterness? Our feet are swift to shed blood, right? To incite violence, to do wrong, to, right? to get back at somebody. Do we not have that? Do we seek, does the world seek the good of others purely for their good, or is it because it might get something in return? The poison of ass, these snakes, is under their lips, right? Our, 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 our words is like poison that kills of a snake. It says the path of peace they've not known. Why? Because somebody who is, has a sinful heart and a sinful nature from birth has no fear of God. And we've talked about what fear of God means. Not me knocking, trembling, high from the Lord, but a deep reverence knowing who God is and all that he's capable of, but knowing that it is for you in Christ. Since we're in Romans 3, just jump down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Falling short of the glory of God, sinning, right? It's often said about missing the mark. And while that is a true description of sin, missing the mark, sometimes I think we need to qualify that because some people will assume, well, I missed, but I was trying to hit the mark. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't have a new heart, you're not trying to hit the mark. You don't care about the mark. You're not even picking up the the bow and arrow to shoot it. This is the condition of humanity. All have sinned. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If this message is feeling heavy right now, good, it should. This is serious stuff. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins. Not one. Go a couple books over to Isaiah now. Go to Isaiah 53, a glorious, glorious chapter that talks of the coming of our Savior, Jesus. But right there in the middle of Isaiah 53, literally in the middle, because there's 12 verses, Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Notice, again, you're not a victim of your sin. You're perpetuating. You perpetuate your sin. You have chosen to go go astray. You have chosen to turn away. Isaiah 53, 6 is clear. That is why the Savior must come. 
a longer passage, but an important passage. And perhaps I think no passage of scripture best describes our current situation in society than Romans chapter one. If you don't understand what is going on in the world right now, if you are confused about how fast things can be shifting and changing, if you are wondering how is it that people are calling evil good and good evil, go to Romans chapter one, because we are in Romans chapter one, we see sin and its consequences, unbelief and its consequences. Now, interesting, right before verse 18, we hit in verse 16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's talking about the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then in 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. But in verse 18, things change, but I want you to understand that the character of God is going to be displayed right here. Starting at verse 18, going through the rest of the chapter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Stop right there. Suppress the truth, right? Again, it's not that the world, it's not that humanity doesn't know there's a God. Biblically, there is no such thing as an atheist. Rather, they're suppressing the truth. They're holding, it's like trying to hold something underwater. They're trying to choke it out. But they know it's there because their hands are around it. They're suppressing the truth in their righteousness. Let's go on. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Right there, no such thing as an atheist. Somebody who says an atheist is just displaying their sin of how to deny that God they know is real. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Here we go. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Notice this. The world pursuing its sin isn't just what they're doing, but God is saying, you know what? I'm going to let them off the leash and let them pursue their own destruction. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, which is us, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged their natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their own persons the due penalty for their error. We're seeing the sexual depraved revolution increasing in speed. Rainbow flags aren't cute. Rainbow flags are a judgment from God. They took the rainbow that God meant to show his grace of preservation, and they decided to use it to pridefully show their sexual corruptness. The LGBTQ 
lifestyle agenda is an evidence of God's judgment upon them. The fact that that is being in schools, be inclusive. Again, I'm not saying not to love and care for people, but we don't affirm that which God says is unnatural, not of him. And the world's going to say we're hateful for that. But it's not. You can love somebody, but the most loving thing you can tell somebody is that they're pursuing their own destruction. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not, which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, their slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, and this part's horrible here, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They're not just saying, I'm living this God-hating, corrupt life, but I'm going to encourage others to pursue it. Is there a better description of the society we live in? We live in a world where people don't no longer blush over their sin. They decide to post it on social media to get likes. All have sinned. And because of that, everybody is sinful in God's sight. Everybody is sinful in God's sight. Let me go a little quicker here to wrap up. Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? What he's saying there is if God were to write down our sins in a book, who could stand before God and say, no, I'm pretty good? No. You have a debt. And God does mark our iniquities. He has them every single sinful thought, deed, and desire is in that book. Here's the thing. You can't file bankruptcy when it comes to your, with your sin. You can't file bankruptcy and get rid of it. You've got to pay that debt to the full. You can't pay it off. And that's why we get to the good news of Christ, but we need to know our situation, our predicament first. Psalm 143, verse 2. And do not enter into judgment with your service, for in your sight no man living is righteous. No man living is righteous. We can't come up to God and strike a deal and barter. He is a good judge. For Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 7. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like, filthy, like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. Because God is holy, because we are sinful, it says that God hides his face from you. God cannot even look upon you. 
because of your sin. The last verse I'll share is from the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, if you're there, look at verse 17 with me. And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Who's that one? There's only one who does good. Who is it? The God-man, Jesus Christ. There's only one. But it's interesting. In other, in other, in some of the other gospels during this interaction, Jesus says to keep the commandments and the guy and his arrogance that happens and no awareness over his sin. He says, well, I've kept all those rules from my youth. Proving Jesus' point. There's only one who does good. So there's been a lot of scripture. It's been a hard word, I know. I'll be honest, like, I don't like sitting up here and saying all that in one sense because I know it's hard. I know it's heavy. But until you and I understand Truly how evil, how wicked we are. Until we understand that if it were not for God's common grace, you wouldn't make the Taliban look like choir boys. Until you understand that you are capable of rape, of murder, of theft, were it not for the common grace of God. Until we understand that, we will never understand in prize the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until we understand that aspect of sin, until we understand sin for what it is, we can't raise children to know and love God. We can't properly witness to our neighbors. We can't properly even confess our own sin to God. Think about this. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There has not been one moment in our entire life where we've ever done that perfectly. Because of our sin. But there was not ever one moment when Jesus did. And so until we understand that about ourselves, about the world we live in, we will not understand the power of the gospel. So with that, let me close in a word of prayer.